0: Hello everybody and welcome, welcome to another amazing episode of Marketing Ops Confessions. Thanks for joining us today. We have Brad from Tulip here at Interfaces and I'm excited to chat with him about a few technical deep dive um, process related items, which is is something that we don't typically do. So that's exciting. And then also we have a few spicy topics that we're going to cover as well um so i'll do a proper introduction in just a minute as you know use the chat it's a great way for you to connect with others in the room and feel free to share your linkedin profile feel free to ask questions there there's also a questions tab that you can head up to and ask your questions there as well i imagine that we might get a little bit uh a few more questions when we get into kind of like the technical screen share so if this is something that you wanna replicate in your organization or have questions for Brad around, hey, how, did, how exactly did you do it? Um, or how would you do it with these tools? Definitely take the time to ask because that is why we do these sessions.
1: Um,
0: yes, we have a little incentive that we'll be sending out afterwards and um, appreciate your patience on, on us getting those out, but everyone will receive a gift card today um, on the house. With that said, welcome, Brad. I'm excited to have you there, have you here today. So, um, Brad is actually um, marketing operations architect at Tulip Interfaces, and he, I love his journey, which we'll talk about shortly, but he has a journey where he actually started in sales. Um, and not any sales role, but he he was at HubSpot for a long time and helping with the integration side at HubSpot. So I think that that's a really interesting uh, journey that we'll dive into in a minute. But we're we're also going to learn how he's pulled from you know the sales side of things and brought that into his um, more data driven marketing ops technical role here. So nice to have you brad how's how's it going
2: yeah likewise thank you for having me it's going well um beautiful sunny fall day here in boston
0: love it love it um i see people in the chat already chit-chatting yes thank you feel free to share those linkedin urls to connect with others so brad um I I want to dig into your journey a little bit, because as I mentioned, I do think it's really interesting your transition into, um, you know, marketing ops and and now more of this like technical architect role. So why don't you tell us just a little bit about how you got into your role, your journey, and, you know, why you chose to go this route?
2: Yeah, sure. So I've been in the marketing technology space pretty much my entire career. Um, like you mentioned, I started out at HubSpot, um, coming out of college. I thought I wanted to be in sales. So the natural first step in that was being your BDR SDR. Um, so I was a BDR at HubSpot. I was on their corporate team and their corporate team is targeting companies, about 500 employees and above. So that's their largest segment at HubSpot. Um, and this was interestingly enough, it was kind of before they even had like their enterprise marketing hub and their enterprise suites. Um, and I was also, so my territories were Silicon Valley and Seattle. So I pretty much cold called everyone there, um, and tried to get them to ditch Marketo and come to HubSpot. Um, so that was a a rough sell at the time. It was tough. Um, so I did that for about a year. And then I was like, you know, I, I think I like the tech. I think I like how people are using it. You know, maybe, maybe sales isn't my gig. Um, so I was lucky enough to move to their implementation and their customer onboarding team, where I spent another year there at HubSpot. Um, so that was a lot of fun. I got to work with new HubSpot customers, help them migrate off of other tools, help train their team. Um, it was very like consultative. And yeah, a lot of training, but it was like very hands-off in a sense, um, you know, the main goal of implementation and onboarding is to help the, the customers, you know, eventually be self-sufficient and, and not need me or not need anyone else at HubSpot. Um, so a lot of times I felt like I was just assigning homework and I was kind of like a teacher assigning homework to my customers. And I felt as though I was like, you know, I, I really like the tech. I like what I'm doing but I like, I know what to do. I'd rather just like do it myself. So that's kind of how I, I navigated to the, the marketing ops or the MOPS profession. Um, interestingly enough, like during this time on the onboarding team, I, I'd kind of self taught myself Marketo, you know, so during the day I was you know, working in HubSpot, helping customers solve X, Y, and Z. And then I'd go home and I'd be like, I wonder how people are doing this in Marketo. Um, so I did that for about a year and then I got connected with Tulip, Um, the organization I'm currently at, um, I've been here for almost two years. Um, and they were actually previously a HubSpot customer. Um, and they were moving to Marketo. Their team was small. They needed a marketing operations person full-time given that they were transitioning to a little bit more sophisticated tool. Um, so my experience kind of played, played well in that role um and have been yeah a marketing ops team of one ever since handling everything from you know the migration to platform ops to the campaign stuff to a ton of reporting analytics and um yeah it's been it's been a great almost two years
0: amazing yeah uh raise your hand in the chat if you are a marketing ops team of one this is the session that you should be in for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah thanks for sharing your journey. I think, I, again, I I really like to hear where people come from and because we can ask questions like, you know, being on the sales side and, and even just that integration side Where but now you kind of have your, your, you're rolling up your sleeves and you're doing the work. Um, mm-hmm but I think you also being on the sales side, like you learn about building relationships and you learn about how to communicate and how to sell value and things like that. So what are some of the lessons learned from your time, you know, in in those roles at HubSpot and, and previously that you've been able to bring into your role now?
2: Yeah. Well, I, I learned that sales is really hard. Um, and it gave me a, a newfound respect for for salespeople. Um, you know that that's the job that they do day in and day out, and I, I suppose that's why they make the big bucks. Um, but I think it, and especially at HubSpot, given that you know we were, we were selling marketing technology, um, I think it just gave me a really unique perspective of like, um, you know, how companies go to market, or how their marketing and sales teams, and even you know their customer success team, their customer facing teams go to market to create a, a really seamless customer experience for, you know, their leads to their sales engaged leads, all the way down to, you know, their customers and, and, um, and biggest fans, you know, um, I, I think one of the biggest things that, that I took away that I, I, you know, um, use in my day to day is just the importance of having a really tight um, sales and marketing alignment and marketing and sales relationship. I think it's just so important. I, I think, not just from being aligned on like messaging, but also just operationally, like being in marketing operations. I I think one of our biggest priorities and especially mine is um, making sure that when leads flow into our database, that they are being routed to the correct sales rep and they're being routed at the right time. And they have all of the the correct data and the data is accurate so that the sales rep has enough context to engage in a meaningful conversation, um, all while trying to execute this handoff as fast and as seamlessly as possible. So I think, you know, spending my my, some time as a BDR and and being on that side of the handoff process, but also being on the implementation side at HubSpot and helping customers create that really seamless and efficient marketing to sales handoff um, is definitely something that, that I use in my day to day.
0: Yeah. And I think you said something really important. You mentioned having the right context, like even really great marketers aren't doing this well. It's providing that context for their sales team versus just throwing things over the fence and saying, go work this deal, go work this MQL. You're actually providing a more robust, like, here's the story. Here's why they're an MQL. Here's why you should be working um, this lead. And I think that that is a critical aspect and probably something that you really did absorb from being in your time in sales, because you understood like, you know, what, what you needed in that role to work the deal. So now Mm. being able to like kind of align those teams is, is really powerful.
2: Yeah. You know, I think, I think it's super valuable for any, anyone in like an operational role, like Mops or sales ops, or even, you know, the new age of rev ops. Um, to spend some time in, like, the end-users' shoes. And, and when I say end-users, really, we're enabling marketers, we're enabling sales folks, right? Um, I think that's that's super valuable because when you spend time in their shoes, you understand, like, what their day-to-day is like, and you understand what, thing, what things make them successful versus what things make their job really, really hard. And I mm-hmm. think, to echo what you just said, like, one thing that made my job easier, even though be, being a BDR is really hard, um, was just having all the data and all the context around a particular lead. Um, mm-hmm. and it wasn't just like, Hey, marketing passed me this lead. Like, good luck. It was marketing passed me this lead and I have all of this really great activity data and I have all of this really great firmographic data and I have insight into how this lead is being scored. So I can tailor my outreach, um, to make sure that like I'm resonating with this lead, um, and one, it just helps out the sales rep. Um, But when you think about it, like it it also just provides a better marketing and sales experience for like that prospect, because the sales rep is ultimately reaching out and talking about things that they care about, which Mm -hmm. I think what we all want, you know, as a, from, from the buying perspective, right? If I'm, if I'm evaluating a piece of software, I don't really want to talk to someone who like doesn't understand my pain points or doesn't understand, you know, why I'm interested in a certain solution. So I think Mm -hmm. that is all together super important.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I think to um like just being able to share what's like the activities, right? Like I I don't want somebody to reach out to me when I've been like For people that have been attending these marketing ops confession series over and over and over again, like my sales team better know about that when they're reaching out so they can bring that up versus just like. Oh hey i'm just randomly reaching out to you like no, you've been engaged in these programs, these are the activities and I think it can be really hard for. And we talk about this a lot at Kudu is like, how can we make data more accessible to marketers because then we're enabling them to be able to provide the teams with that data. And I think marketing ops specifically is in a really amazing place to be kind of like the shepherds of that data and ex- and the accessibility to that data.
2: Yeah, that's super important. Just making data accessible to more people or mm-hmm. end users within your company um but also just simplifying it so like when they have access to the data they're you know like what heck is this or like what does this mean um mm-hmm. i think that's all something that's super super important
0: yeah agreed um okay so we talked about a little something that you implemented at your organization being a team of one, again, like I imagine that the requests, depending on the size and trying to scale, like even just setting yourself up for success in the future, like those, the campaign requests are coming in from all over the place and having to manage this as a team of one can be extremely frustrating and time consuming. Um, and so I think what I what would be awesome to walk through, and this was actually a LinkedIn post, I believe that you shared, I have the link here and I'm gonna put it in the chat for everybody so they can see it, um, but we'll screen share, Brad's gonna screen share. And so we're gonna actually walk through this process because what Brad implemented with his intern was this process to really um, make this as seamless as possible, automate what should be automated, and in doing so, he saved his team more than 30 hours. Well, his team, as in himself, <laughs> more than 30 hours a month. And we know that like time is the best gift, right? Like when you can do things that will increase efficiency, increase productivity, AKA give you more time to focus on other things, it's like the best gift. So I think it's important, and especially for the people that are struggling with you know, hey, I just keep getting these requests. I'm this team of one. How do I set this up in an easy way? Um, Let's walk through it. Let's walk through what you did, because I think that it's not overly complicated, but it is important that, you know, I think we go through, here's exactly how you set this up, because I feel like sometimes we miss that of like, I set this up, it saved me this amount of time, but how did you do it? So let's dive into that of how you did it, and we'll walk through. your LinkedIn posts.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
0: And to, while you're, while you're getting that up, I think it'd be interesting to, to hear from you, like, what was the, I know you'll talk about, like you did this audit, but like, what was the process for the audit and how did you determine like what you could actually automate versus, or what you should actually automate versus, you know, we don't want to automate everything.
2: Yeah. Yeah, so like you mentioned, um, I feel like the past three months, I was able to bring on an intern. Um, his name was Bentley and helped me out a ton with this campaign ops process, because before, like I was just so stretched for time where I didn't have enough time or resources to like be strategic and think about how we can automate this process until Bentley came in and like helped me out a ton. Um, it just freed up some more time so I could be a little bit more strategic. Um, but yeah, re- regarding like the, the process and how I audited it and how I thought about it, um, you know, before it was like super, super time consuming. Um, I imagine a lot of teams are kind of stuck, you know, in this, you know, V1 of, of how, when I was handling this before, it was really just like a Google form or some sort of form that you are intaking, you know, campaign requests from your marketing team. And then I was really just like working off of the spreadsheet of responses and like, going into Marketo or HubSpot or whatever your your automation tool was and just building it. Um, And that's,
0: and sorry to interrupt, but like, that's where most people stop, right? They're like, okay, we'll automate just the intake form and then we'll, we'll just work out the back end and like get things where they need to go. So I think that like a lot of people, especially teams of one, like that's great if you're there, but here's a way that you can make it even easier and streamline it even more.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And to your point, like there was just a lot of friction in that first process, Um, you know, bouncing around from Marketo to Google Sheets, to the campaign form, Um, it just like, wasn't streamlined. It wasn't efficient. Um, so my first thought process is like, okay, this thing like, isn't working. There's a lot of friction in the process. Um, and I really just evaluated kind of like my own workflow, like day to day, what apps I like to spend time in and what's just easiest for me. Um, so for myself, that was Slack and Jira, um, like I use, you know, Slack is like my, my go-to for, for everything, um, in my day to day. And and also Jira is what, um, our team uses at Tulip to manage projects. It's our project management tool. Um, so that was kind of like my first thir- my first thought process was like, okay, I've got these things coming in from a Google form, Like how can I get that data, meaning these requests to the apps that I spend the most time in and it's easiest for me because I'm always in them on a a day-to-day basis. Um, so that was kind of like the, 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 the first kind of like audit process was like, okay, let's take this data from Google sheets, which is uh, friction. And I have to bounce around to let's move it to the the places that I'm, I spend the most of my time in. And then the second half was like, okay, I can get it into Slack and Jira, like, then what? Like, what do I have to do after that? Um, So for me, like, you know, we have, uh, or we had, and I've added to it, a pretty extensive program template library in Marketo that a request would come in, great, it would show up in Slack and Jira, and then my next step would just go, okay, I've got to hop into Marketo, I've got to clone a program template um, for this new program that my team is requesting. Um, So then my second thought was like, okay, you know, what if we can automate that program cloning process and have Zapier, the, the tool that we were using to handle all of this, not only move this data into Slack and Jira, but also clone that? Um, that way, it's saving me extra time, it's saving me extra clicks. And then all I have to do is go into Marketo, grab all of the data that my team has requested, populate some tokens or populate data um, in the clone campaign and then press launch. And that's pretty much what it's done. So this is what the, the process looks like today. Um, Google form Zapier clones a program. It's creating a task in Jira for me. And it's also including all of the program information that I will need to populate this clone program, right? Cause it's just a template. Um, So that means landing, you know, email copy or landing page URLs for triggers or tokens um, for, you know, really campaign-specific information. Um, Sends us a Slack channel. Uh, We have a Slack channel that we use internally for all these requests. Sends us a notification and then... Boom, well, you know, we populate tokens, activate smart campaigns, set up the Salesforce campaign, and, and pretty much it's done. You know, it, it takes less than fifteen minutes to do because Zapier, uh, Zapier is doing the, the majority of it. So, um, yeah, kind of just like a, a high-level overview, and I'm, I'm sure we'll share a link to this post that has like more detailed instructions if if you want to recreate this in your org. Um, but you know, step one, your typical Google form. Um, Really just capturing all the information that I will need as the marketing ops guy to, you know, execute this campaign from just the cloned program template. So that's really what's capturing all of the information, right? Um, URLs, token values, uh, program name, all that good stuff. Um, And that's also what Zapier is using as the trigger to, to kick this thing off. Um, and you can notice here there's different paths depending on the type of campaign that my team is requesting right so if someone is requesting a webinar um, you know obviously we're going to send it down this path which is ultimately going to clone a uh, webinar program template for us so also important to make sure that you you set up those paths um, to make sure that you're sending you're cloning the right programs excuse me Um, and then each within these paths is kind of like an overview of what the specific actions look like um, and I'll cover these in more detail, but these two webhook actions here is what is actually cloning the program in Marketo and then pretty self-explanatory, but uh, we're creating the task Ajira, and then we are sending a Slack message to our marketing ops Slack channel. So, I'll cover these briefly, but if you want to check out this LinkedIn article, it has more of like the technical how-to's and like why behind these two webhook actions. Um, but the cliff notes, this first, um, webhook, which is just a webhook a get webhook is basically just passing our authorized credentials to Marketo and Marketo is sending us back an access token. Basically we're asking Marketo if we have permission to use the APIs, Marketo is saying, yeah, you're all set. So that's all this step is doing. Um, and then this second webhook here, this is the one that's actually cloning the, the program. So this is a post. We're basically using the access token from that previous step, which is you know granted us authorization. Here is the um, API endpoint. This first arrow here is the program ID from the um, program template that I'm cloning from in our, our template library. So basically, we're saying we want to clone program ID 1298. Here's the access token. Here is the new name of this cloned program. You can see I've just thrown in the token from our Google form response. Um, And then this folder here, this this second arrow here, is basically just telling Marketo, once you clone this program, I want you to put it in folder uh, 2977, which holds all of our live webinar programs. So that's all this guy is doing here. and then the last two tasks you know, pretty self-explanatory. This one's creating an issue for us in JIRA, and it's adding a label. Uh, we have a campaign ops board in our JIRA instance, which helps us manage all of the, the requests from intake to QA all the way to deployed and launched. Um, and then the last thing here is just sending a notification to our Slack channel. Um, And this is what the the finished product looks like in Slack, which saves me a ton of time. You know, it's got the name of the team member that's requesting a program. Um, But also what is really nice is it links both the cloned program in Marketo and also the JIRA ticket. So all I have to do is pop into Slack, which I have open and use all day. Um, Click on the link to the program. It'll bring me to that program that has just been cloned in Marketo. Um, And then it also lists out all of the token values, again, from the Google Form, which I'll just copy and paste into that program. Um, And even the the Smart Campaign triggers, right? Like your landing page that was also filled out in the the Google Form. So really has made my workflow so much more efficient. You know, I'm no longer having to, um, one, create a program from scratch or manually go into Marketo and use the UI to click around and clone a program. It's doing all of this for, for me, um, and it's keeping all of the data that I need in the places that I work out of the most in my day-to-day, which is Slack and Jira. Um, so it's been such a lifesaver. It saved me a ton of time, um, and it's also just helped me be way more organized, especially in, in Jira here, You know, on a, a given sprint or a given week I'm able to keep track of all the campaigns that have to, you know, go out the door and, and what their due dates are.
0: Boom. We should just end it here. That was, I mean, like, seriously, I, what I love about this post too, which I did link in the chat is that Brad walks you through step-by-step of how you can achieve this. Um, and I mean, like, we know that like this is the biggest can be one of the biggest pain in the asses. So, and, and I like what you said too, about keeping the data where you're, or you already have those things open all day. We're not trying mm-hmm. to introduce a new tool. We're not trying to figure out somewhere else that, you know, we're passing the data to. You. And then, I mean, this is really just kind of like a glue really. Um, But you're not having to like introduce a whole new system to your stack to like easily yeah. get this to, to work well.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, in- oh, go ahead. Yeah. I was just going to mention, you know, while, in our current stack, you know, we use Marketo and we use Zapier. Um, I think the the fundamentals of this can be applied to like whatever your stack is, right? Like if you aren't using Zapier and you're using like another middleware tool, you could absolutely recreate this. Or if you know you're not using Marketo or if you're using, you know, HubSpot or Pardot, um, you know that's definitely something that you could leverage as well. Um, so I think the the building blocks for this process can be applied to, you know, whatever your tech stack may be.
0: Yeah, definitely. Were there any like gotchas that you ran into or things that I saw there was one at the very end where you like tried to um, Mm -hmm. auto populate the tokens or something like that?
2: Yeah, I tried to, Um, I think it was just becoming um, hard to scale. And my zap, I mean, you can see some of the actions here. I think I was up to like step like 35 or something Um, so yeah, I was left with like 35 and I think by the end of it, I had like 75 steps, you know, spanned out across all of these paths. So I played around with just having, um, you know, Zapier just auto-populate the tokens for me. And while it worked, I decided against it at least for right now. I think it was more of just like a scalability issue. Um, but I, I have seen, you know, there are plenty of other MOPS folks out there that, are using tools, you know, middleware tools that have a little bit more advanced functionality like Trey or Workado to auto-populate those tokens, which saves even more time. Um, So it was something that I played around with. Ultimately, I think for, you know, our use case right now, um, copying and pasting tokens wasn't a huge lift for me, Um, but there's absolutely like a ton more that you can do, you know, with this foundation um, if you really want to.
0: I also want to um, give you kudos too, for just the way that you've chosen to document. Like, I don't know what your internal documentation looks like on this, but the fact that like, if you're just a solo MOPS person, but you also want to get this out there, like Brad has achieved documentation, but he's also achieved being able to then promote it and share his learnings and his knowledge with the community by just, creating a blog post for it, you're going to do that documentation anyways. So that was a really great way for you to then decide, Hey, I can share this with others and promote my work and, and, um, help others too.
2: Yeah. Well, this is like our internal doc, um, that, you know, I've built out in Confluencer, um, yeah, I have kind of turned a 180 on internal docs. I think internal, um, early on in my career, you know, I thought of it as like extra work. But then, Mm -hmm. you know, after like three months later, where you're trying to figure out like, what the heck did Brad of three months ago do? Like, how did he set this up? Then you start to realize, okay, like this stuff is like really important because especially if you're a team of one, like, or even if you're not a team of one, um, you know, figuring out how someone configured something or how something was set up months later without that internal documentation is just like, it's just a guessing game. Sometimes you're just like throwing darts at the board.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Awesome. Thank you for sharing. So if you have questions around this process, feel free to uh, ask them in the questions tab and we can get to them in a little bit. Uh, Also, of course, feel free to reach out to Brad directly. Um, We've got one more, one more show and tell for you today, which I love. So you also um, have an awesome post in the MoPros on the MoPros blog on Mm -hmm. multi-layered lead source tracking in Marketo. Um, we know it can be a, a little bit challenging in Marketo and like other marketing automation systems to achieve this. And also I feel like this is really good for marketers too. Like I want to share this for all the, the um, even like the less technical marketers that aren't necessarily owning marketing ops. It's so important that you understand how this works when we talk about attribution, when we talk about lead source tracking. Um, and we'll dig into like our opinions on that in a little bit. But Can you walk us through the process that you developed for um, implementing multi-layered lead source tracking? And I think this is just like a very, I don't want to say, I mean, it's simple, but it it achieves, it achieves that base layer of tracking that everybody should have. It's like the bare minimum. Um, But I think the way that you've set it up is, is, yeah, let's nominate Brad for Marketo Champion. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah. yeah, I think the way that you've set it up and the way that you've explained it is freaking solid.
2: Yeah, so interestingly enough, like this was something that I was trying to replicate. Like HubSpot does this very, very well. Um, HubSpot's tracking cookie gathers so much data for you um, related to person source automatically. Where like Marketo... Marketo's tracking munchkin, they call it, um, just doesn't. So
0: can I interrupt you for a second on that one? Yeah. But why don't people like to use it? Like, I had so many clients with HubSpot Mm -hmm. where we would explain to them, you don't need to go, like, you have this built into this tool. It is so powerful. You have Mm -hmm. all of these analytics, like, let's use it and try and align the original source field with your custom lead sources. But people were so against
2: that. Really? That's that's interesting. Yeah. It, It captures so much for you automatically that you, like, don't have to build or don't have to manage. Like, yeah. I... That's 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 crazy, but anyways, like that was kind of the the rationale here. I was like, all right, so like I've got Marketo, you know, it, it's it's got all of this data, but it just takes a little bit more legwork to like surface. That's that really nice for us that we can use for reporting. Um, so when we talk about multi layered there's a there's a couple of different layers here. Um, first, that's not like listed here is going to be like your first your your first converting campaign. I think is what they call it in HubSpot, but you know acquisition program, whatever you want to call it in in marketo. really, just the the program or campaign that's responsible for actually generating this lead. You know that's kind of like the the first layer. Um and then there's a couple more layers um, underneath that, right? So lead source kind of has uh, a varying definition across organizations. In our organization, we like to think of lead source as the type of lead, right? like it it pretty much answers that question of what kind of lead is this? Is it a content lead? Is it a demo request, webinar, et cetera? Um, and then we've got first touch channel. Um, so this really refers to like where this lead came from. So think about paid search, paid social, organic search, um, okay. that that kind of stuff. And then we've really just have a, a drill down into that first uh, first touch channel here. So think about, you know, if we've got a lead that is paid social, like what network, right? So that's going to be that drill down field. Is it LinkedIn? Is it Facebook? Another network. Um, And then we also use, you know, the, the last touch and first touch UTM parameters um, to give us more context, like if it is a paid search lead, like what, um, like what page search campaign was it? So all of these together, I, I think paints a really nice picture. Like here's an example from one of ours, from our database that paints a really nice picture of like where this lead came from, right? We have the acquisition program. So that's the campaign that's responsible for actually generating this lead. And then we can tell like, okay, what kind of lead is it? Right, it's a virtual event lead. Well, where did it come from? It came from paid social, specifically Facebook. Um, and then by piecing these uh, UTM fields, these UTM parameter fields here, it's just going to give us a more detailed look into what paid campaign from Facebook, um, you know, resulted in this, this lead being, being acquired. So I think all of these together, you know, paint a really nice picture of where did this lead come from? What kind of lead is it? Um, And I really like the fact that we have broken this out into multiple different fields rather than trying to combine this all into one where it's like, you know, paid search, um, you know, the ad network, and then the kind of lead. Um, This allows for just more granular reporting, more granular uh, granular filtering, Um, and I think it's just much easier, much cleaner um, to to view this kind of data if it's split um, into different fields. Um, So there's kind of like a a lot of nitty-gritty that goes into this and building it in Marketo. Um, You know, I I won't cover the full thing. Definitely feel free to, you know, read through this blog post. It has a lot of detail into how to actually build it. Um, But I plugged this thing right into our new lead processing flow. So right when a new lead enters our database, it's going to go through all these actions. And one of those actions is making sure that we're populating all of these, um, these source fields on that new lead. Um, so the first thing is just tracking that top line lead source Um, and here at tulip we've actually we use global forms right so we have a one form that we use for all of our webinars one form we use for all of our content programs so that's actually how we capture that first um, that top line what kind of lead it is is it's a hidden field right in our forms right um, also in our forums are U- these UTM parameters that are super important to populate these other fields. So our team, will use UTM parameters for pretty much everything. Every campaign that we use, whether it's a paid campaign, whether it's an email campaign, whether it's sales outreach, everyone's using UTM parameters. Uh, they're also stored in um, these forms when someone converts on our website. And then we've got a couple of pieces of automation here that are, you know, really evaluating those UTM parameters to populate some of these um, these values here. So one of the things that we do is we just stamp the the last touch UTM parameters to the first touch, so we can grab that that first touch um, source there. Then for first touch channel, we go through and we have a couple smart lists here that basically evaluate those UTM parameters if the lead has a you know, UTM source of um, like LinkedIn or Facebook and a UTM medium of, um, you know, CPC indicating it's a, a paid campaign, then we'll mark it as, you know, paid search or paid social. So we're using those to, um, you know, populate this this first touch uh, channel. And then we're also using them again here um, to populate that channel drill down, right? So if it's paid search, the first touch UTM source is gonna be either Google, where it's going to be big, um, and so on and so forth. If it's paid social, the UTM source is going to be LinkedIn or Facebook or whatever other social networks you're, you're advertising on, um, and so on and so forth. So, it's um, it served us really well. Um, you know, I, I really think having these split into multiple fields just makes reporting a little bit easier um, and makes things a little bit easier to visualize. So. Mm -hmm. Um, Definitely feel free if if you want to take a look at this and and look at it in more detail than I was able to describe. Um, It's definitely something that um, I think is super valuable.
0: Yeah, this is solid. And um, a couple things I'll call out. So on like Salesforce um, campaign tracking side, are you then building out like your parent child um hierarchy based on like those that first touch channel so like you have a campaign and then like this is actually what we do so we have a you know a content campaign and then we're pulling in via workflow like that first that first touch channel and then sending it to the child campaign of say paid social facebook or paid Mm -hmm. social linkedin are you doing that as well
2: So we actually do something different Um, in Salesforce. We have set up a flow to grab those last touch UTM parameters and stamp Mm -hmm. them on the campaign member Mm -hmm. object. That way, let's say if we're running a webinar and we're promoting it on email and we're promoting it on uh, paid social um, because of those UTM parameters that are on the campaign member object, we're actually able to get that source reporting underneath one campaign, which has been really Mm -hmm. nice for us. So you can do it both ways. I've seen folks do it with the parent and child campaigns um, or stamping the UTM parameters from the leader contact object over the campaign member object. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, solid. Um, and there is also a comment around um, all your timestamps. So uh, first of all, like just like first touch, first touch, last touch UTM stamping is awesome a lot of people are like why aren't my why are my utms being replaced (laughs) um you gotta stamp them um but but also looking at your funnel like you have really solid like funnel like if you scroll back up to that first image you have really solid funnel time stamping and we talk about this a lot of Mm -hmm. making sure that you are time stamping every stage in the funnel of um, people walking through that process and like we even go a step further too, and we'll do like, um, uh, most recent MQL, because we know that people, folks yeah. get recycled, yeah. right. And they re MQL. So we're keeping that original MQL date and adding the secondary MQL and even like secondary SQL date too. Um, it's a little yeah. overkill, but it, it saves us a lot of frustrations yeah. when we're reporting.
2: Yeah. Super important for all those funnel metrics, uh, conversion rates or, um, uh, velocity between stages. Super important to have those timestamps.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so I linked this if you scroll up in the chat. I also linked this blog post uh, we will also make this like these two process walkthrough snippets so we can reshare on um, LinkedIn and whatnot, because this is definitely solid and if you want to pick Brad's brain a little bit more or even just ask a quick question right now feel free as we dive into the next topic. Um, but yeah, thank you for walking through this. Yeah, sure. I'm going to share my screen now because now we get to get a little spicy, <laughs> which is the best, the best part of this. So I loved, I loved this post that you had and, and maybe it's just cause we had been talking about it like internally before and on the last marketing ops confessions, um, I think it was, we were talking about how there's all of these hacks, right? Like there's all of these hacks that turn to products and they all Mm -hmm. stem from like being built off of Salesforce or being built even off of like a market automation system. And then they turn into the actual product. Um, And so it's almost like Salesforce or like those systems, like these more traditional systems are kind of springboarding that, which is awesome to see. But at the end of the day, it it sort of positions like Salesforce in your example, as I mean, like kind of a dinosaur, right? Like at what point are we, are we, are we not needing it? Um, And I think, I just think it's interesting to evaluate that, not saying we, we one way or the other, but just to have that conversation. Like if we're plugging all of these tools on top of Salesforce. Like what are we actually using Salesforce for and how are we how are we like uh evolving the way that we use Salesforce as well to make sure that it's actually still of value in our tech stack. So we'd love to hear your take um you yeah. know outside of this post on that.
2: Yeah. Um it's definitely a spicy topic. Um, <laughs> and I think like you said, you know, I I I don't know if I have like a great answer to it. Um, I think it's just something that I've been thinking about more and more and something that I've been, like, questioning more and more. Um, I think to your point, like, like we, I think everyone sees more and more technology that's just built on top of Salesforce. You know, I'm I'm thinking, like, these sales engagement platforms or these sales productivity tools. Um, And really, when you think about it, like, their main selling point is you can enable your sales reps to do more time selling and less time, you know, even logging into Salesforce. Um, you know, I've seen some tools that will even allow sales reps to create opportunities, manage your pipeline, without ever like having to log into Salesforce. So I think to your point, like, you know, when I see all these platforms, I'm like, this is really great, right? We're we're enabling our sales team, but on the other side, I'm like, well, what are we actually like using Salesforce for, right? If companies are spending more and more time, or more and more money, excuse me, and um, and operations people, were are spending more and more of our time, more of our resources. Integrating these platforms, connecting these tools, so our sales reps can just spend more time selling. You don't have to worry about logging into Salesforce. You don't have to worry about updating. Um, It's like, well, you know, what in our in our organization, what are we using Salesforce for? And I think the majority of people will say that we are we're using it for like a centralized data hub, or it is our system of record or our source of truth. Right. And, and in that sense, I think we're taking all of these tools, all these go to market tools that our team uses, and we're connecting them to Marketo and or into Salesforce, excuse me. And everything's dumping in that data to Salesforce um, as your centralized data hub or, or your system of record. Um, right. But on the other hand, it's like, OK, well, Salesforce isn't really being used to like enable our sales teams to sell better. Um, we're buying all these other tools that will do that. and. Um, we're enabling them, so they don't really have to log into to Salesforce, you know, anymore. So, you know, I think I think the question is like, should we be doing this, or um, like, do we not need Salesforce? And I don't know. I don't I don't know. The, I don't know the answer to that, to be honest. Um, you know, I think if we have shifted to Salesforce being more of like a central hub for data or a more centralized record for our go-to-market teams. Um, my next question is like, could there be other options out there that are better to do that than Salesforce or maybe even cheaper because, you know, we all know Salesforce isn't cheap. Um, so yeah, definitely, definitely a a spicy topic. Um, it's something that I think about, um, you know, pretty frequently. And, and I think as tech evolves and the way we use tech evolves, um, I think companies and more operations people should start kind of, you know, mulling over this question more and more.
0: Yeah, agreed. And you had a quote that I really love. And you said, no one ever got fired for picking Salesforce. <laughs> it's true. So, I mean, it's going to take like, who is it? Go- who is it going to take for for somebody to make this change to come in and say, we're going to do something completely different? Like where, yeah. who has that power? Do you think? Or the? excuse my French, but like the balls to do it. <laughs>
2: Well, you're pretty spot on, right? Like, I I don't think anyone ever gets fired for using Salesforce just because of the way that Salesforce is positioned in the market, right? It's the default. Um, It is, in some aspect, it's considered just the safe option because everyone, well, I used it in my last company and that company used it before and before and before. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I I think it's going to take, you know, to go to your, in relation to what you had mentioned, like a gutsy, you know, business leader or an operations leader to kind of like swim upstream or like go against the grain as to like what all other companies are doing when they're just kind of, you know, settling with Salesforce because that's what they used at their last company or it's because what everyone uses, you know? Um, And I think the first companies to start doing that, I think they'll really have an advantage in the market because, we all know that Salesforce like isn't the perfect solution, right? Um, no matter how you use it, there's going to be, there's going to be pros and there's going to be cons. So I think these companies that go against the grain and and do something different, they'll have the opportunity to build how they go to market, how they market, how they sell, how they retain their customers their own way. And then layer on tech on top of that to make their teams do it better rather than buying tech and then saying like, okay, we've got this tech that are do X, Y, and Z. How could we shape, how we market and how we sell and how we retain our customers to fit and play nicely with this tech that we just bought. Mm -hmm. So
0: you make a really good, um, ploy for, and I keep seeing these surveys on LinkedIn, like who's your first hire, right? Like when it comes to these teams, like who's your first hire, are you going to hire somebody who can lay that foundation and from the, from the gate, say, this is what we're doing versus here's what we have now let's figure out how to make it better. Um, so thinking about like, who's that first hire that, that has the ability to, to lay that groundwork. Yeah. Um, before we dive into our next topic, cause I know we're running out of time. There is a question that I want to going back to, um, the Salesforce and like stamping UTM grams on. Let's see. So can you double click into stamping UTM crams to a single Salesforce campaign instead of a parent child? Like I was explaining, um, have you set that automation in Salesforce? Would you recommend mm-hmm. doing that on your automation system instead of Salesforce?
2: Yeah, so that, that's going to be done in Salesforce. Um, we, we've we set up a process or I think there are flows now. So pretty much how it works is every time a new campaign member is, is created, um, Salesforce will look at that. Um, I don't know if it's a parent object, but but they'll look at that related object, right, the leader contact record, Um, and it'll just grab the last touch UTM parameters from the related object, that leader contact, and it'll stamp it to that newly created campaign member. Um, That way you can do some filtering and reporting on the campaign member source. So it's going to be built in Salesforce.
1: Hey Brad, I'm, I'm jumping. Hannah's uh power went out. So good thing I was uh, listening.
2: <laughs> I was looking. I was like oh, oh no, am I frozen or is Hannah frozen?
1: No, her power went out. So oh, as man. you know, what what can go wrong with events or webinars? Well, um, um definitely try.
2: <laughs> the joys of working from home.
1: Yeah. So any final thoughts before we sign off? I know I wasn't uh, too prepared with additional questions, but this has been an amazing uh, webinar and so many good takeaways that we'll Mm -hmm. definitely continue to share even after. But yeah, uh, any final thoughts?
2: Final thoughts. Um, I don't know. I don't know if I have any final thoughts. Um, I think one more thing that we were going to to chat about Um, was just being or navigating your organization as kind of like the first marketing operations hire. Yeah. Um, You know, I was the first marketing operations hire at my current org. You know, I joined the marketing team was four people. um, And like I mentioned earlier, no one was really kind of overseeing marketing operations. I feel like that's kind of how it is at a lot of, you know, early stage or growing companies, everyone just kind of has a hand in it. Um, And a, a couple of things that I had learned pretty early on was, you know, through no fault of your own, the the company is small, uh, but I think there's just kind of like a misconception of what marketing ops can do or what what marketing ops does. You know, I I feel like at a lot of companies, the first reason that you bring someone on is because like, we need someone to manage the marketing automation platform, right? Whether you're like using HubSpot or Marketo or all these tools, I feel like that's the driving force. Like, all right, we've got a growth marketer, we've got a product marketer, head of marketing, like now we need someone to like manage this tool. so I think that, and a lot of times is kind of like the misconception of like, okay, yeah, we've brought on the marketing ops hire, like there are admin for, you know, the tools that we're using. Um, but I think early on, I, I think as marketing ops professionals, you, you kind of have to do a little bit of like self-advocating for yourself within your organization, um, just to bring like a little bit more clarity as to like what you, like what your role is and yeah. like what your expertise is. Um, but also just like what value you can bring to the table, right? I think as marketing ops people, we are, we're so close to like the data. We're so close to the executional side of marketing um, that we have a lot of value that we can bring to the table when it comes to like strategic decisions. Yeah. Um, And and like I said, I think through no fault of their own, I think, you know, as companies are small and scrappy and everyone's wearing a ton of hats, um, I think it's important for, you know marketing ops people to do some self advocating because there are there is a lot of value that we can bring to the table especially the strategic table.
1: Yeah, I found too even through um, not having a marketing ops role that sometimes the role is even developed and that's where you have an opportunity to voice the pain or even the value you bring as an individual in a previous org in my experience we didn't have an ops role it was just kind of all hands on deck like who owns this tool or who knows about it but one particular person who was close to the campaigns or setting up tracking started to really invest in the processes and the communication between departments and what value was really brought and it's like hey we really need some operational roles and then it started with marketing and then there was a sales and then there was a revenue operations mm-hmm. which i think um through some pains the value really came up hey oh hello so- <laughs> my power went out and
0: this is my best friend laura Haber jumping <laughs> in to rescue me i'm so sorry everybody
1: <laughs> is this a, f- a, th- a first um to host marketing ops confessions? I think so, I think so. Don't let me stop this conversation. And <laughs> we're talking about the value and that you bring as a marketing ops professional and um, the mis- misconception. So like, Brad, were there any specific misconceptions for you that came up in roles where you had to really like speak up and say, hey, this is the value that this role brings in general or for yourself mm-hmm. particularly?
2: Um. I- I don't know if I would label them as like misconceptions. I feel like that kind of has like a negative connotation. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there was just, there was just projects going on internally that, that were outside of the scope of like, you know, your day to day marketing team where you, you know, you kind of hear these projects going on and you think to yourself like, hey, like, you know, that relates to like what I'm doing or like, you know, I was just in that system or, you know, you, you handle so much of like the marketing to sales handoff process where it's like you, you have input for like the rest of the process, like how sales handles things, but also like post-sale, like how sales and and the customer success teams work together, right? Like, especially if you manage these marketing automation tools, which have so much data, that data can be so valuable to like other go-to-market teams, the sales team or the customer success team. So I think it's I think there's just a lot of self-advocating for like, hey you know, these cross-functional products or these cross-functional projects, like I can play a hand in that too. And, and I can definitely, you know, offer some strategy and, and offer some solutions.
0: That's great. I wanted to um, jump in and see if we had a chance to answer the uh, Jeff's question while I
2: was I don't believe so.
0: Okay, <laughs> that we can pull that one up. Um, are you tracking all UTMs by touch point and storing or only last touch UTMs?
2: Yeah, so we, we, t- we grab the last touch. Um, so that's what is included on all our forms. but we also have the first touch field that you'll see in the LinkedIn article. So basically how it works is when a new lead is created, we grab the last touch parameters that are populated from a form. And we stamp them into the first touch fields, and then that first touch field is locked down. Um, nothing can update that first, uh, those first touch UTM fields, but the the last touch UTM parameter fields, those are continually overwritten. Um, but the first ones, once they're populated, um, they're pretty much locked down because it's the first touch.
0: awesome. Thanks, Brad. Yeah, that's that's great, and I actually think that that is a really good segue into like our our other spicy or other spicy topic about around, um, just like attribution. I wish I had my mug today of, um, marketing attribution is fake. We literally made it up. We did. Um, <laughs> this is one of my favorite topics. And you talk a lot about this too, Brad. And I think that like, again, like even you just talking through here's how you can do it in your tools and make it work is speaking to the fact that like, we've overcomplicated it because we have all these tools, right. That are specifically for attribution when you literally can do it in your system. Um, and when you go outside and introduce a new tool to your tech stack, it starts to get really complicated. And then you start to say, am I trying to answer questions that really matter? Um, like, am I making this too complicated? So yeah, I would love your take on this. I completely agree with, with, kind of like your stance. And I, I think that like, if we're not starting at this simplified level first, and then evaluating, like, do we really need to go further? Do we really yeah. need to know more? Have we even exhausted all of our existing um, opportunities to to learn more about attribution, like asking, our, asking on discovery calls, where did you find us? Like that's some mm-hmm. of our best data. Um, yeah. So yeah, uh, you know, would love to hear your take
2: yeah well i mean i totally agree i think i think we've gotten to a point where like we're just overdoing it and we're overcomplicating something that you know i don't think necessarily has to be that complicated um and i think part of it is like we're we're trusting a lot or maybe we're placing too much trust in a lot of these vendors that are like selling us the solution right they're doing a really good job of marketing their attribution tools and selling them that like We as marketers believe like, oh my God, we have to do this. Like we have to, you know, capture every single touch point or we're like missing out on attribution. Um, And I think to a point that it's like kind of doing our marketing team a disservice, right? I think there's a lot of power in creating a really solid brand reputation. Um, And I think the majority of the marketing that does that is probably not going to show up in this attribution model that you Mm -hmm. bought from from a MarTech vendor, right? When you think about like your, your company's podcast that people may be listening to, or you know, if your CEO is posting on LinkedIn, you know, three times a week and it has a rather large audience or like what I think is the most important is your customers, like your existing customers talking to other people in communities, Mm -hmm. Slack communities. Like, I think that's the most powerful stuff, but like, it's not going to show up in your attribution model. Um, So I think what we're getting in these attribution models from our tech vendors, I think it's really just like a fraction of what is actually going on. And I, I think it's leading us down the traditional like, marketing paths. Like, okay, we've got a gate and ebook because that's how we're going to track the touch point or a webinar because that's how we track the touch point. And it's, it's kind of like pigeonholing us, our teams into doing marketing, only marketing that we can track, um, which, I mean, in my opinion, the best marketing that I see is often things that like we can't track in an attribution model. Like it's entertaining. It's different. It's funny. It makes me, makes me remember their brand and produce like a lasting memory. But oftentimes like you're just not going to see that when you log into Salesforce and open up your attribution model. Um, Mm -hmm. So I I definitely agree. I think we've gotten to a point where like we're um, we're overcomplicating it a little bit. Um, I'll definitely have to pick up one of those mugs. Yeah.
0: Yes. (laughs) Um, Amanda Nielsen, thought leaders. I I'm like, I push her products all the time. I should get like a, I should be a part of her like affiliate program, um, but yeah, I feel like we've like commoditized it, right? Like, and that's what we do in in SaaS and B2B um, is like somebody saw that as an opportunity. But you yep. can do it all in your in your existing tools. I promise you, like you literally you really can. And then if you start to get to a point where you're like, I can't do it all in my existing tools just ask those questions like do you really need do you really need to go a step further have you truly evaluated everything that's going on in your existing stack and even some of those things that are more word of mouth like are there other ways that we can track that yeah. um, or just be okay with not tracking it right and know that it's important
2: yeah i would love to see a com- like the comparison between two data sets right the the stuff you get from your traditional attribution models that you've either you know bought from a vendor mm-hmm. and then like what about if you have a you know you've got your demo request form on your website if you've got a free trial form you know people input all of their contact information and then at the bottom there's just a drop down list where it says like how did you hear about us
1: mm-hmm. and it's not
2: you know podcast or linkedin or you know referred from someone in a slack community i would love to see the comparison data between those two because I think there's something to be said about just like asking people, yeah. um, and I think more often than not, like we get so worried between first touch and and MQL touch and opportunity touch and last touch, where it's like if you just ask people, they're probably going to put like the most important or influential touch point that they feel you know uh, um, made them reach out to you. So I think that's going to be like the most important thing. I would love to see the comparison between those two data stats just to see what it looks like.
0: Yeah, absolutely, we actually do have a field, a required field for disco mm. calls where we ask that question and we have That's gone cool. back and done some comparison. Um, we haven't done it in a while, we should go back and do it to see. And yeah, no, I'd, I'd, I'd totally share that data with you um, yeah. because I think it's really interesting. I think you know X percent actually aligned with what how we tracked it in our system versus what they said. Um, and just to truly get an understanding of the most influential touch point. That's what really matters is the most influential touch point, And that's where you should then put more of your efforts and energy.
2: Yeah, that's great. I love that.
0: Awesome. Well, this has been regardless of or irregardless of the uh, technical difficulties, such a good conversation. Thank you, Brad, for taking the time to dig a little bit deeper, go technical with us, and and, um, share some of your processes that you've developed and put into place over at Tulip. And again, for anybody wanting to go one layer deeper with Brad, you know, where can we find you? We all know you're on LinkedIn. Is that the best place for people to reach
2: out? Yeah, definitely, you know, add me on LinkedIn. I've got plenty of spicy takes. Um, Definitely appreciate you having me on. It's definitely been a memorable, Weekly session, the power outage, spicy takes, deep <laughs> dives, and technical stuff. So, thanks for having me. It's been a ton of fun.
0: Yes. Yes. And more calls to nominate Brad for Marketo Champion. Let's get on it, people.
2: (laughs) Thank you. Thank you.
0: Yeah. Um, so next week, we hope you'll come back and join us. We have Carolyn from bill.com. Um, and that will be a really great conversation between her and, um, Francis, our our co-founder and CRO here. So tune in next week and that actually will wrap up our season four of Mops Confessions. So keep your eyes and ears out because We will be announcing our new season lineup next week. Um, And we have some really good names coming. We've got Dooley, we've got Lucid, uh, we've got Highway Education, Toby Murdoch. It's gonna be epic as always. So keep your eye out. We will have some more registration opportunities coming your way. And thank you again, everybody. Great discussion in the chat, great questions. And of course, thank you again, Brad.
2: Yeah, likewise, thank you.
0: Bye, everyone.